The Sparks Museum podcast is made possible by a grant from the Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. The podcast is just one of many new features of the Sparks Heritage Museum. To learn more, check out our social media channels or our website at www.sparksmuseum.org. Hello, and welcome to the Sparks Museum podcast. I'm your host and the media manager for the Sparks Heritage Museum, Jessica Johnson. In 1989, Harris and Reno would host the world premiere of a Hollywood movie. The movie was Pink Cadillac, which starred Clint Eastwood and Bernadette Peters and featured a young Jim Carrey in one of his earliest film roles. The movie is an action comedy film about a bounty hunter chasing a woman trying to outrun him in her husband's 1959 Pink Cadillac. Despite the film being a critical and financial flop, the movie nevertheless takes viewers on a sweeping journey across the northern Nevada landscape, including Reno, Carson City, Burnley, and of course, Sparks. Scenes were shot inside John Esquaga's Nugget Casino and remain recognizable to the Sparks and surrounding Truckee Meadows communities alike. Today on the podcast, I welcome Robin Hollibird. Robin is a former journalist with the Sparks Tribune. She has had a long career in the film industry as the former film commissioner for the state of Nevada, an author of two cinema-based books, and has a weekly program on Reno's NPR affiliate KUNR every Friday talking about the latest releases. Robin talks about her life and career, as well as some notable movies and television episodes filmed or about the Reno Sparks area. Please welcome to the podcast, Robin Hollibird. Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always good to come back to Sparks. Oh, yes. And we're happy to have you. So I just wanted to start off. uh, The first question that I ask all of our guests is, um, what, if any, personal connection do you have to the city of Sparks or, in the larger sense, northern Nevada? Well, you you heard me say come back to Sparks. Yeah. When I first moved to northern Nevada, uh, I heard of Reno, of course, because I'm a movie person. I watched The Misfits. I knew about Reno. Uh, But I ended up working at the Sparks Tribune. Oh. Back in the day when it was a weekly newspaper with a reporting staff who went to city council and other meetings and covered news. That's amazing. I had no idea that you worked for the Tribune. Yeah, yeah. So that was my one of my first jobs or my first job in this area. Um, so I got to know a bit about Sparks while I was here, um, learned some of the traditions. Back in the day when we would get our weekly paycheck, we were encouraged by the Nugget to go over there and cash our check. And we got a free spin on a wheel. Oh. We got a minimum of two drinks. And then you had all this cash with you. I was good with the two drinks and keeping my cash. <laughs> That's good. I'm not sure that I would be. But <laughs> so, and uh, could you remind me again, uh, what were the years that you worked there? Uh, that was in the mid-70s. So around 1977, a couple of years in that. Uh, that frame. And so we had big stories that came out. One was the discovery that the um, IRS was trying to find out just how much money was really being made at the Mustang Ranch. Mm. And um, the, the workers at the Mustang would go into Sparks for their regular checkups, which they had to have. So the IRS was monitoring this doctor's office, and every woman patient who went in was listed as a uh, uh, suspected prostitute. Oh. And that included the mayor's wife. So... (laughs) 
so that was a, a story that broke about um, maybe the IRS is getting a little overzealous here. <laughs> and it went national. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, wow. Different kinds of stories than I expected um, to see while growing up in Southern California. Absolutely. So you so you grew up in Southern California. When did you move here to this area? In uh, 1976. Oh, wow. And yeah. so was Sparks your first stop or were you just kind of around the Reno Sparks area? It was right out of university. So I moved from California, uh, Northern California. We have a Humboldt in California as well as we have a Humboldt in Nevada. Um, and I came down here with my husband who was in the mining industry. And this was a good place for that journalism was my degree. And back in the day, it was not that hard to get a job at a newspaper. Everybody had a newspaper. Sure. A few things have changed since then. <laughs> well, now everybody has a blog or a podcast, as it were. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you need somebody who's going to be paying you to do that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so how did you get involved with the Nevada Film Commission? Well, that was a, a fun, uh, unexpected path because back in 1976, when I got my degree, um, there was no such thing as film commissions. And... Uh, so I wasn't uh, one of those little kids who said, I'm going to grow up and be a film commissioner. <laughs> I didn't know they existed. But I did get into government public relations. I was a public information officer using those journalism skills for the school district and for the Department of Transportation. Uh, working for the Transportation Department meant I got to know the state. I had to know the state. All our highways, different locations, I would attend meetings about the development of roads. Sounds exciting, right? Except that I got to drive and fly all around the state of Nevada and learn its locations quite well. So at one point, economic development needed some pictures of Wendover, and somebody heard I was going to Wendover and said, could you get me some photos and all that? So I did, and they, they liked what I did and said, you know, it's, it's too bad you love your job so much because we're starting a, a, film, a film commission branch here in northern Nevada. That's a long story, I know. But you know, I sat there and I said, hmm, roads, movies, roads. Um, what, what about that job? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I became the first northern Nevada film commissioner when they formed that office, I think, in 1988 or 87. Somewhere around then. And how long did you hold that position? 21 years. Wow. I retired uh, with all my years in government work. I went ahead and just retired. And they did fill a position up here briefly after I left. And then we hit, hit into the 2008 recession. And a lot of government jobs went away through attrition. So one went away here. And it has never since been replaced. And it's my understanding that that office is based out of Las Vegas, right? Yes, and it always was, which makes sense, of course, because um, that's where the, the bulk of the filmmakers at least thought they were going to do their projects. And uh, so, yes, it's in Las Vegas, and now the entire staff is in Las Vegas. There's no staff up here. So it's dependent on local people interested in the industry, people like you who have worked on projects that, uh, are developed locally more than the big budget um, studio projects that used to. That's what we were grooming to get into the area when we had an office that was full-time up here. It's not that the Las Vegas office completely ignores us. They certainly don't. Um, but 
knowing how to get a project kind of requires knowing your area, the ins and outs, the little corners that we as residents know about. Sure, absolutely. And it seems like you were more than qualified to take that position on with your work, both in journalism and in transportation. <laughs> yes, and uh, knowing a lot of corners about Nevada as well from uh, flying around and learning the roads. So that was another thing. Transportation is important to the film industry. The vehicles have to get here. The equipment has to get here. The crew has, not all the crew, we try to hire locally. But a lot of people do have to be able to get here either by airplane or road. Now, I, I met you originally, I think I had to be maybe 11 or 12, you were doing a presentation on The Misfits, which is arguably one of the most famous films to have shot in this area, if not the most famous. Yeah, I don't think you have to argue about it. it it's <laughs> one of the most famous films, and it's in the National Register of Films, so it's an important film. And um, in the book I wrote about Nevada movies, Elvis, Marilyn, and the Space Aliens, icons on screen... Well, icons is what The Misfits features. Clark Gable is still a bit of an icon, you know, and Gone with the Wind, that was, was something. Um, and Marilyn Monroe, a total icon. So you've got a cast with those two figures. And even if you're 20 years old, there's a good chance you've heard of these actors. Whereas there's a lot from a movie made in 1960 you might not have heard of. The rest of the cast, Montgomery Clift, a little less known. But... Uh, people do still know about the misfits and they still refer to that movie. It was a big deal when it happened. Absolutely. And I, it was my first introduction to that film. And in being able to go away to film school in Southern California, which is the, the movie capital of the world, um, and to have be surrounded by historians that frequently reference that film as as a hallmark of an era, and especially for those uh, classic Hollywood titans of the time, it, it's just so great that you, based on your position that you held for 21 years, are now in the position that you can introduce uh, people local to this area to some of these films that they might not have heard of. Um, I just took your tour with the Historic Reno Preservation Society uh, that you held on July 2nd, and uh, it was so great to see the attendees of that tour um, taking fervent notes about these films that they never even knew were shot right in their backyard. And we're definitely going to get into a few of them that were shot in Sparks today. But I wanted to ask you, um, in general, this could be all over the state, during your time as uh, film commissioner, did you have a favorite project or projects that you had a hand in developing? There were a couple that I really enjoyed. We talked about one on the Filmwalk Sister Act. I had fun with that because we really weren't supposed to get that project up in northern Nevada. They were set mentally on going down to Las Vegas. So I was being a little more casual and flip than usual and um, jokingly had said when we were down in the, in the old days, some people remember that Harold's Club had its counting room downstairs, and we I showed them the counting room. Now, can you imagine you take all these filmmakers into a room where there's all this money and people are counting it? That's what they call it. <laughs> and the, in the script, there's supposed to be a murder that occurs in the counting room. And then the star, who it turned out was Whoopi Goldberg, witnesses and has to escape. Well, how are we going to escape? And <laughs> back in that day, there were also vents in the sidewalk. And I, so I pointed to a vent and said, well, you know, she could just lift that up and run down the sidewalk to the Amtrak station. <laughs> and basically that's what happens in the movie. Uh, because as it turned out, we did get the movie. 
um, in talking with the director who was going on about the special effects that Vegas would require. I said, yeah, yeah, I I, I see that. Um, He said, if I filmed in Reno, it would be more character driven. And I said, oh, you mean like Dirty Dancing, which was the director's big hit. (laughs) And he smiled at me and he said, yeah. And I realized then he had already made up his mind. He was switching the movie because he thought it would do better in Reno, character driven as it was. And it turned out to be one of the biggest hits of the year. I remember the first time I ever saw that movie was actually, weirdly enough, on a uh, freight ship in international waters, showed to me by a Polish chef. (laughs) And Uh so that movie has international effects. And I think that that is so tremendous that uh, that Reno ended up being the backdrop because I feel like, to the rest of the world at least, not to locals, but to the rest of the world, Reno was often forgotten about as being a, a, a show and entertainment hub in this area just as much as Vegas. Of course, Vegas continued the tradition, whereas the, the fabric has kind of changed up here, but we certainly had our heyday in the yeah. limelight. Yeah. You know, the last movie I worked on was one of my favorites, also Love Ranch, which I had told the brothel story earlier. Well, that's what this was about also. That's not the reason it's my favorite. It had Joe Pesci and Helen Mirren. So when you get actors like that, that's pretty amazing. And the director, Taylor Hackford, was a kind of guy who really wanted input from a film office, wanted to hear other people's ideas. And he came up just to research. He was not going to film in Reno, Uh, The movie was set and did primarily film in New Mexico, but he liked enough of what he saw that he brought it up here for about a week, which was, that's fun when you actually achieve something like that. And another movie in, I don't know if your age group was right for it. Did you watch The Wizard as a kid? No. Because I get, now I get um, from some millennials and others questions about this movie with Fred Savage called The Wizard. And it was a variation of Rain Man, but done with, kids and it involved some of the early video games and the wizard was a video game wizard a little boy autistic who could play these games and I've been surprised over the years to hear people calling about that asking questions about the locations they find my name in the credits or something (laughs) like that and and wonder so it you never know what's going to impact people Uh, the way you saw sister act um Maybe you'd been a little kid and seen The Wizard on TV and you saw Reno in it. Well, actually, one of the the Eastern European athletes at UNR, that was the reason she came, was she knew Reno. She'd seen it in that movie overseas. Absolutely. That's that's amazing. Um, and kind of getting into that as well, I mean, I, I feel like uh, to some of our listeners, um, they might not know why certain film or TV projects choose to film on location versus um, inventing or reimagining that location um, in a different part of the world, like on a studio lot in Los Angeles or in Vancouver. So can you give just a brief, I know it's a very complex issue to get into, but a brief reason on why a film or TV project might shoot on location versus um, reconstructing that location? Most directors feel they're going to get a sense of authenticity by being there. Now, that that shifts a little depending on, well, is it a period movie where you need everything 50 years ago, so you have to set dress anyway. But um, for something like Casino, 
Martin Scorsese's movie out of Las Vegas. He wanted everybody to actually come and stay in Las Vegas while they did that filming. He wanted them to get the sense of living in what can be an adult fantasy world. It's a different place. And he felt that was helping his performances in the movie, which maybe with De Niro, who knows? <laughs> He's always brilliant anyway. But Sharon Stone got an Oscar nomination. Uh, James Woods was in it, you know, it, it just for authenticity. And that was um, some of the same reason The Misfits filmed on location in Reno sequentially. You know that word, right? It means they filmed it in order, scene by scene, as it was happening in the script, which is very expensive and not the way movies are normally filmed. But the director, John Huston, felt that it would lead to a very realistic sense of what was happening. And they were using locations that were there, already there, that the, were written for the plot. So that helps. But movie magic means you can shoot locations in many places, and CGI, computer graphics, means you can invent many things. Although, personally, I'm not convinced they all look that realistic. Mm, definitely. Especially these days when a lot of these effects houses, since that's such a common thing that the industry's using, their resources are stretched very thin. So if it doesn't yeah. look convincing, it sometimes can take you right out of it. It can be economical to shoot on location depending on the type of project you have if you don't need too much in the way of controls. You've worked on a low-budget short film. Um, to do it all on stage might have been more difficult than just going to the locations that existed. Nobody had to fix them up and spend much time dressing them. On the other hand, it's also a little, a little bit expensive if you have to hire police to control traffic and pedestrians and that sort of thing, too. So there's costs associated with it. So what do you think makes northern Nevada, or just Nevada as a whole, um, an attractive place for productions to film? Well, when I was working with the film office, one of the things we had were road pictures. We had a lot of diversity, and it was very easy to radiate out from a place like Reno, as in the movie The, the Wizard, where you could pretend that you were back east and then you could pretend that you were in California. You could go through farmland out of Fallon. You could go through Utah-looking desert out of Pyramid and other places like that. You could be at Lake Tahoe with a lush mountain look to it, and Reno could provide a cityscape. So that diversity was very helpful. It's less so now as we've developed, um, but we still have some beautiful things around here and some unique qualities. Lake Tahoe, yeah, you can fake it. You can go up to Canada and get a lake, but it just doesn't look the same. Absolutely. And there's something lost, I think, in in choosing to film in another location, certainly for locals. Like, I know that um, Bad Times at the El Royale, which is, <laughs> you know, somewhat uh, inspired by the Calneva, that filming in Canada doesn't have the same effect as it would if it was filmed. Yeah, and, and the director did a lot of the publicity from a boat at, in Lake Tahoe. So <laughs> he, he knew he yeah. would have liked to have used Lake Tahoe. But, of course, they would have used Canada for that movie because it was more cost-effective. Canada has professional quality sound stages, uh, very used to the film industry. So sending your crew, in, or they have the crew, sending your cast in is not as much of a problem in Canada um, one of the rules is you have to have a Canadian actor in a major role. Mm. And then you have to hire a certain percentage of Canadian crew workers. 
Um, so that keeps travel costs down. But there's going to be a few. Jeff Bridges is not Canadian. And <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> now, in kind of pivoting over to Sparks, um, I'd love to talk about um, a few projects that were filmed in this area or at the very least set in this area. Um, is there anyone that you would think of as perhaps the most notable or the most recognizable? Uh, in Sparks itself, mm-hmm. I think you have two world-famous, outstanding directors who worked in um, Sparks, and one of them is Clint Eastwood. He was not the director of Pink Cadillac, which did some scenes at the Nugget. Buddy Van Horn was, but I was on set watching, and basically Clint would go over to Buddy and say, whisper in his ear, and Buddy would do direct the scene. Uh, And that had some scenes at the Nugget. Uh, Pink Cadillac is not Clint's most famous movie, but it definitely has Northern Nevada in it. And then Paul Thomas Anderson, who last year at the Oscars was nominated for Best Director and Best Screenwriter, and he's had those nominations before for movies like There Will Be Blood. This year it was Licorice Pizza. He um, did his first movie in Nevada, Uh, northern Nevada, and that was called Heart 8. Originally it was called Sydney, but it was called Heart 8 with a great cast, uh, Samuel Jackson and Gwyneth Paltrow, John C. Riley, Philip Baker Hall. And when the opening sequence was filmed at Jack's Coffee Shop, and that's where John Riley and Philip Hall meet, and Philip Hall takes John C. Riley under his wing to train him about gambling. So there were, were also some scenes done at The Nugget and a lot in Reno. Paul, for as edgy as his movies are and everything, is actually a very sentimental, nostalgic guy. So he's contacted, uh, at least he used to contact me, about different projects that he might be able to do in this area. So in his movie Magnolia, I think that's his third movie, uh, Juliet, Julianne Moore and Philip Baker, or Philip Seymour Hoffman, who was in Hard Eight, by the way, um, and some other Tom Cruise. Uh, the opening sequence uh, involved a forest fire and a casino game. And so Paul wanted to come back and work at the Nugget again because that's where he did his first movie. Oh. So he did this scene there, and you know he, he does about 20 or 30 takes took all day for what's two and a half seconds on screen, (laughs) very clearly having these two cards go down in a a 21 game. And um, he wouldn't exactly tell me at that moment what it was about. He said it was a, it was a biblical reference and he gave me the, the verse and it was something about frogs falling down from the sky. And if you watch the movie Magnolia, it actually ends up making sense. (laughs) But that is so great. So the nugget seems to be the most, used backdrop well casinos were needed for movies and they still are uh and the nugget was very cooperative in working with filmmakers um, as was the pepper mill in reno and a few others but it was always nice to go to a locally owned operation uh, because you can talk with management without having to go through a board meeting and all that kind of stuff so the nugget did make it uh, easy to work there and um, it was also in a tv episode Starman, based on the Jeff Bridges movie, but with Robert Hayes. And, you know, the the plot called for needing to do some gambling, which Starman was good at because he could read cards. Um, 
And in those days, it was harder to get casinos. We didn't have gambling legal in every single state. We didn't have casinos right over the border and everywhere you go. Um, now I can watch a movie that says it's taking place in Las Vegas and say, eh, that looks like a New Orleans casino to me. <laughs> uh, they, If you live here, you can tell the differences, but most viewers can't. And so that's why we don't have a lock on casinos anymore. Wow. Well, th these are, of course, the top listed projects on um, the Internet Movie Database when you search for what uh, projects were filmed in Sparks, Nevada, which IMDb is a very user-friendly source, perhaps not the most comprehensive, but hey, if you have information that you want to seek out, it was very easy to do so. Um, and I'm seeing that all of the dates for these projects are around the late 80s to mid 90s. When I had my job here. Yeah. Oh, hey, what a wonderful coincidence. <laughs> so, yeah, good advocate for your space. <laughs> I'm also seeing here um, Charlie Varick. Yeah, that's uh, Walter Matthau, um, uh bank heist movie. Mm. And I'd have to watch it again to look specifically for Sparks. It actually shot at Mustang. Um, there is a scene with Joe Conforti in it, uh, oh, wow. but also at the, the yard there. And so they may have considered that Sparks. The movie opens in Genoa, of all places, but it calls it New Mexico. <laughs> and it has some downtown Reno filmings. It's by a director named Don Siegel, who did a lot of work with Clint Eastwood. And as part of the reason Clint Eastwood would come to northern Nevada to make movies because his friend Don said, hey, it's a great place to work. You get a lot of different looks, all the things I was talking about before. You can do a road picture, as Charlie Varick a little bit was. Um, Walter Matthau was a big star at that time, and a lot of people who lived there when it was made have memories of that. And I should also mention Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood are very well known for making Dirty Harry. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing, like like you said, road pictures being a common genre, of course, westerns. Um, and on that vein of westerns, in thinking about the broader region of Nevada as a whole, during your time, did you work on a lot of period westerns, or were they kind of more this idea of like the, the urban cowboy, modern? Well, they, actually, I didn't work on as many westerns as you might think, even though we have a huge western heritage. We didn't have a lot of film ranches that were set for westerns. Um, people thought of us with westerns because of the TV show Bonanza, mm. which shot in 19, started in 1959. And, you know, the Ponderosa Ranch became a real location midway through the TV series. Right. So I would show the ranch as a film set. It was a little... Uh, not edgy compared to what some people wanted, but we did get it used. Um, one of the more interesting Westerns we used Virginia City and the train for was The Dead Man with Johnny Depp, um, who was very sweet and nice and didn't tear up his hotel room or anything. <laughs> in fact, I had heard a story. I, I also work up in the Virginia City area that um, he stayed at Mackie Mansion. Yeah, I arranged that because he <laughs> specifically wanted something very different, and he was hoping to see a ghost. Now, I've heard different variations of the story, but my variation, um, I, I talked with him after he stayed up all night looking for ghosts and he was very disappointed he said he told me he didn't see a ghost <laughs> other people now say he did see ghosts well 
I don't know. That's the story that they tell up there. Yeah. So I guess it's I guess it's up to uh to personal take, take <laughs> personal your, taste. Take your pick. He <laughs> stayed up all night. Um, he smoked some cigarettes, and um, that's that was the me- the only mess he left in the room. The ashtray had cigarette butts in it, <laughs> which I don't think they took as anything particularly serious or or horrifying. <laughs> but he did stay alone in that dark house all night long. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped his performance too because if you've seen the movie he plays the title character the dead man he's he's got a bullet in him and he shouldn't have survived and here he is still alive but he's in pain and he's not sleeping or anything like that so he looks a bit trashed. Well, Johnny was starting to look a little bit trashed after a night at the <laughs> Mackey Mansion. I bet. I don't think I could stay there a whole night. <laughs> yeah, I, I made some other arrangements for someone, and um, I found out the next day that they had uh, left midnight. They, the, the wind came up, and it was just too scary, so they left. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, is there any other projects that you can think of that uh, utilize Sparks as a backdrop or maybe even made reference to Sparks? Well, not as a backdrop. You know, the, the general public knows Reno, and so that's what is going to be used, or it's going to be filmed in Reno and called Las Vegas sure. because that's what we know. So we don't know nationwide other gaming centers or anything like that. So Sparks, people would go, huh? Unless you were dealing with a fire movie where Sparks was an important name in it, and we haven't got there yet. There's a movie called Jackpot, Nevada. Um, well, Jackpot was a good title for a movie, so that's part of why it actually did some filming there. Um, but we there's background stuff you wouldn't expect. In a movie called Bushwhacked with Daniel Stern, um, they were filming up in the mountains here, but they needed some interior shots, and they ended up using a warehouse in Sparks. It was just easier. Um, I mentioned Magnolia at the Nugget. Most people don't really make that connection. And I think in the movie they say the Nugget in Reno, Nevada. Sorry, Sparks. And Paul knew the difference. Um, (laughs) uh, We used another, we did some warehouse work on another one, Blind Fury, uh, with Rutger Hauer, directed by Philip Noyce, a a very good director from Australia. And they might have done some out. I think they did a neighborhood scene. Um, I don't know the name of the neighborhood, but but you see it off of McCarran up on the hill. Mm. So look for Blind Fury. It's a remake of a Japanese um, uh, samurai movie but with the blind samurai Zatuichi. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, Blind Fury. It's kind of different. And Rutger Hauer, of course, we all love from the original Blade Runner. <laughs> um, so those would be some movies that, that happened in Sparks. Sparks is, as you hear, you know, Reno Sparks area, it's always part of the package. Mm. It it has a hard time breaking out, at least in movies right now, and standing on its own. So maybe someday. And I know another project, too, that filmed uh, in the Audi District recently was a collaboration between uh, Jeremy Renner, who lives up in Tahoe, right. and Disney+. Plus. So um, I know... Not much else about that project except that it happened and it's already wrapped. And so yeah, they have to keep a low pri- profile with that kind of thing because when you've got Hawkeye running around, <laughs> you're going to get a lot of crowds, and that doesn't yes. really really help a whole lot. You know, the halfway house, which is right around the border of Reno and Sparks, was used in a movie called The Motel Life um, with, with uh, Emile Hirsch 
and Chris oh. Christofferson in that particular scene. So I don't know if Sparks wants to claim it because, I mean, really, it's right on the border. Oh, we'll claim it. Okay. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm okay with that. It's, it's fine well, with it, me. It'll be... Either a Sparks production or a West Sparks production. Multiple just will. <laughs> I like that. West Sparks. Um, that, that'll work just fine. Now, Sparks uh, has a good business license system. It's easy to work in Sparks. Um, while it would be difficult to do a whole campaign to get movies to Sparks, because they're probably going to film in Reno or Tahoe, um, there's a lot that makes it a workable adjunct to filming in northern Nevada. I can do another sort of halfway one, which you experienced on the film walk, because the the old Reno Arch used to live at Paradise Park. Oh, wow. Isn't that part of Sparks? Yeah, or yeah. it's border again. It's yeah. border. Yeah. But it was there forever. <laughs> so, And you can still see that arch in front of the National Automobile Museum, and you can see it in the movie Cobb, about Ty Cobb. Um, and I think in a case like that, we, we had to work with the a number of little government agencies to get everything put together. Sure. And, and that has been wonderful. The Sparks people have always been great about it. Oh, that is so excellent. I wanted to also talk a little bit. We talked on the, the walk prior to this recording about Fauna Hodel. And I was recently watching uh, this series came out quite a few years ago, um, but I Am the Night, uh, which is about Fauna's life and her experiences. And the show opens in Sparks because that is where she lived. And it's very interesting because it was not filmed in Sparks, but Sparks High School is referenced. They got the colors of the railroaders right. So clearly the research was done, but could you uh, tell me a little bit about Fauna, because you had some experiences with her, correct? Yes. uh, Fauna wrote her life story two different times. One um, called Pretty Hattie's Baby, um, which was, it's a complicated story. But Fauna uh, was raised in Black Springs area. Yes, went to Sparks High School. uh, Won an award at the Nugget, was one of the kids honored by when uh, the Esquagos were helping out. So, so her roots in the Sparks area were very strong. The catch on this this first movie, Pretty Hattie's Baby, which was never completed or released, was more the emotional f- discovery that Fauna made. She was adopted into a black family. Her white mother told her father, Fauna's grandfather, the dad's black. So Fauna was raised given away for adoption, raised in a black family, and everybody wondered why she was so light-skinned, but hey, it happened, except that she actually wasn't black. Right. So that was the focus of that story, which was an identity issue and and quite an intriguing story. Fauna also had a lot of other um, events that went on in her life, and one was when she discovered who her grandfather was, George Hodel, she went down and met him and over the years learned that he was actually a suspect as the Black Dahlia. Right. And Fauna's uncle wrote a book saying, my dad is the Black Dahlia killer. Mm. Um, so that's where I Am the Night takes off on that aspect of the story is, was George Hodel this infamous killer? And um, Fauna had... She she worked the, was working to sell the story for years, and she got in with Patty Jenkins and uh, Chris Pine, who were on Wonder Woman. So pretty prestigious TV project to get going. And in that, um, they don't deal with 
the <laughs> confusion of Fauna's upbringing uh, as an uh, adopted kid or anything like that. So that's not in the story at all. And it takes place in L.A. primarily. But they did leave the Sparks connection. Um, Fauna, uh, I have to say, was, sadly. She uh, died before the movie came out, before I Am the Night came out. But mm-hmm. she worked so hard to get that story and was... Uh, she cared about things like her roots in Nevada. We stayed in touch over the years, even after she uh, her project, Pretty Hattie's Baby, was never completed. And it was too bad. It had a fabulous performance by Alfre Woodard. Just oh, wow. It would have been terrific to see as a movie. Oh, that is such a shame. Yeah. And it would have mentioned Sparks, too, as a matter of fact. Let's see. Is the Mental Health Institute... Is that in Sparks or Reno border? That's uh, one, another one that is just on the border. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that that wasn't playing itself. It played the hospital where the baby's born. Oh, okay. They were very cooperative too. It was nice looking, you know, the oh, green yeah. grass, the brick building. So, movie magic. Wow. Well, um, are there any other stories that you would like to share? It's a plug, but it's also useful if you want a list of some of the movies that were on the film walk. I posted something on uh, my webpage, robinhollibird.com. So you have to figure out how to spell my name, .com. (laughs) (laughs) But it does have a list of those movies that we talked about on the the tour. And uh, for watching local movies, well, you can find that list. But uh, with the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, OLLI, I do regular um, screenings often of um, Nevada-related movies. We just showed The Core which is sort of Armageddon in reverse that filmed in Wendover. And uh, The Hangover is another one on the list for summer, City of Angels with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. Oh, wow. And there'll be other movies coming up, so keep an eye out for those if you want to find a way to go see a movie on a bigger screen with some air conditioning and a Nevada tie. Yes. Also, I wanted to mention as well that we um, at the Sparks Museum and our gift shop sell two of your books, uh, the uh, Elvis, Marilyn, and the Space Aliens book that you mentioned earlier and Around the World in 80 Movies. And that book does include Reno and the misfits in Reno. The idea is when you travel... It's fun to travel, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, but it's fun to watch screen versions, whether it's TV or movies, see how it appears on screen or how it's talked about on screen. It gives you an interesting image. We know that movies are not real, R-E-E-L maybe, <laughs> but not necessarily R-E-A-L, but you can still get an impression of an area by watching it on screen. It's, a, it's locations, and that's what I love, movie locations. Oh, Excellent. Well, I want to end with our big three questions. These are questions that we ask all of our guests. And uh, the first question is, what sparks you about Sparks? What makes it an intriguing place to live, work, or even just visit? What sparks me about Sparks? Well, I still, you know, I have to go with a lot of those movie makers. I'll pop into the nugget because I do like some of the food there. (laughs) Um, But I also like the character of Sparks. It's maintained some of its roots, and it's fun to go around that. And, of course, the rib cook-off, of course, uh, that's food. (laughs) (laughs) It's all food-based. It it happens, yeah. (laughs) I I think uh, Sparks, oh, here's a great story. We were out at Burning Man one year, but had to leave early because Fred, my husband, crashed his bike and broke his rib. So on the way home, we stopped at the rib (laughs) cook-off. (laughs) <laughs> and then they went to the ER. 
<laughs> hey, if you can't laugh at the little things. <laughs> so that is an amazing story. Um, but do you have any other favorite stories or even a, a moment in Sparks' history that is your particular favorite? This could be a personal memory of a space or an event. Or um, or if you, you, especially in your time working at the Tribune, if there was a favorite uh, historical moment. <laughs> Uh, a, a fellow reporter there, Janice Higginbotham, some people might remember that name, we devised a scheme that our editor actually bought into, which was every Friday night, uh, every Friday afternoon, we said we were going out to do the man in the street column. I know that's sexist, the person in the street column, whatever. <laughs> and of course, we, we would always go to different bars or other hangouts that, that made it a very pleasant afternoon of work. Uh, and we always turned in the story. But sometimes we tried to, it was convenient, like Janice had a doctor appointment, and um, so we stopped at her doctor, and we're asking the, the, the women in the office, and we were getting responses like, oh, it was Thanksgiving, and the question was, who's the biggest turkey you ever met? <laughs> and, yeah, it was a very detailed column. And we were getting responses like, well, all the guys at Mustang. <laughs> And we realized, oh, this is weekly checkup time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't know. Is that a couth story to tell oh, about Sparks? We welcome all stories about Sparks here. <laughs> and lastly, since we are a museum with a, a research library and a collections archive, we believe that all stories um, about Sparks and the surrounding Truckee Meadows area are worth telling and preserving. What is one thing that you have, either personally or something that you're aware about, that you believe is museum-worthy or belongs specifically in the Sparks Museum? Oh, I hadn't thought about that question. We did a display in Sparks of all the wedding rings Fred dredged up from, my husband dredged up from under the Second Street Bridge. Wow. But a Sparks item, he would be the guy to talk to because he collects these Western Americana and knows all sorts of things. And, of course, Sparks is a railroad town. Sure. And, um, the railroad collectors and train riders who um, are known in the um, collecting industry as the foamers, they know this, so they'll, they'll accept it. <laughs> and I would imagine that it's probably a railroad-related re object. Absolutely. Yeah, we're very proud of our rail city history, but it was so excellent hearing about uh, perhaps some of the uh, film and TV projects that are available um, in a local library or even online that people can access and look and see um, how their city has been utilized. Yes, the Sparks Library, you know, if you go online with your library card and you put in any of those movie titles, they will deliver it to the Sparks Library for you. Oh, that's excellent. You can watch it. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast here today. This has been excellent. It's always fun to talk with you and about movies. The Sparks Museum podcast is funded in part by a grant from the Nevada Humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It is produced and recorded at the podcast recording studio at Sparks' own Antspace Coworking Entrepreneurial Hub, a place for entrepreneurs made by entrepreneurs. We really want to get the word out about our brand new audio series, so please spread the word about our new podcast by taking a moment to rate, review, and share this episode. Do you have a favorite story of Sparks that you want to hear on the podcast? Email info at sparksmuseum.org to share any recommendations. We would love to hear from you. We also invite you to visit the Sparks Heritage Museum on 814 Victorian Avenue. The museum is open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. 
please come visit and be a part of our ongoing efforts to tell the Sparks story. We'll see you next time.